I am Dr. John Newfeld, and today we're going to talk about Christ in the midst of a violent and destructive world. I think you're going to want to stay with me. What does Christ have to say when there's evil all around? It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. And these are very important words that the Holy Spirit has given us. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So you see, there are two things. Christ has come, and he has reconciled men and women to God so that the animosity between God and ourselves no longer stands. Christ died for our sins and has opened up a pathway for us to be friends of God. But then having received that beautiful gift from the hand of God, God entrusted to us a ministry of bringing reconciliation to people. You know, today I'm going to introduce you to a man by the name of Brian McConaughey. He was raised in Northern Ireland. He knew about the troubles and all the killing that went there. He's come to Canada. He was a member of the RCMP. He was a forensic scientist and a weapons specialist. He's done a lot of autopsies, was involved in the Picton investigation, has seen the utter worst of human society. But you're going to want to hear of how a man has brought reconciliation to men and women and how he has spoken the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So join me as we meet Brian McConaughey. Brian McConaughey, it's great to have you here today. Pleasure to be here. Um, it's, um, I, I'm speaking to an individual who has had a colorful life. I think that's probably right. You could say that, yeah. Um, but let's let's start at the beginning. You were raised in a Christian home, and you came to faith in Christ. When did you come to faith in Christ? Very early on. Um, I remember uh, growing up in Northern Ireland. Uh, we were in a small town called Lurgan, and um, there was lots of soldiers and violence around. And I remember being in Sunday school, and we were singing uh, this song, um, uh, uh, we're in the Lord's army. I want to be in the cavalry. I want to, and it was all a sort of the, the, the I know the song you do. Yeah, so, do. so that was what we were singing. And I just went home, um, uh, that afternoon and said to mom, I want to be in Jesus army. And uh, so I remember well kneeling down uh, by the couch in the living room and praying the prayer. And then mom saying, you, you should go in and tell your dad he was a pastor. And so he was doing a sermon prep for that evening. And so I went into his study and told him that I had asked to be in the Lord's army. And I remember getting a hug from him. And, and I think in so many ways, it took many, many years for that faith to be real. Sure. And so I, I think I, I credit my, my time from becoming a Christian was at five, because that's when God views it, even if I didn't live up to it for a long time. Huh. Now, you know, getting to know Jesus as your Savior and as the Prince of Peace hmm. in a world that I think to a great part of your life has been surrounded with violence, with darkness and the ugly side of life. So, you know, I've been to Northern Ireland. It is a beautiful part of hmm. the world. It is. Um, however, at the same time, you grew up in a time when I mean, they simply call them the Troubles. Explain that to us. 
Well, it was basically characterized by sectarian violence, um, reported to be violence between Protestants and Catholics. It was actually political and economic, but unfortunately the social labels ended up um, sort of identifying it as a religious struggle, which it really wasn't. Nonetheless, um, culturally, ethnically, uh, society was segregated. Uh, Protestant and Catholic Protestant kids went to different schools to Catholic uh, Catholic kids, uh, and so you had this this segregation that contributed to violence. Uh, the violence was really driven by, um, as I said, politics and economic disparity. But unfortunately, we had to live with the the labels of this being Christian, when in actual fact the extremists on both sides were absolutely not following any teachings out of the Bible. This had nothing to do with Christianity because neither side, either Roman Catholic or Protestant, in terms of biblical teaching, were going to be planting bombs in restaurants, blowing up families. So it was absurd to assume that this is actually religious. Right from the get-go, when we moved from Lurgan to Belfast, when I was about nine, I think, um, the violence started in terms of being beaten up and bullied, et cetera, in school. So I was absolutely not the powerful bullier. I was the weak bully. Um, and um, so I was picked on and abused. I, I was dyslexic, which was completely misunderstood and undiagnosed. So I couldn't read uh, till I was 10. I started to learn to read when I was 10. So I was way behind the eight ball. And of course, that just makes you the weak link. So you're going to get picked on. And that was very much my history. So you've got this uh, this background of stress, would you say stress? Oh, yes. Yeah, so okay. constant stress. Um, you'd have to be careful which neighborhood you were found in, I think. Yeah, completely. Oh, there's neighborhoods to this day, even though the troubles are over. I've, I've never been in certain neighborhoods. Um, it's just, it's a foreign world. Uh, and certainly at, at night, I remember lying in bed listening to the gun battles. Um, and the sirens, and I would get a radio, and I would tune into police scanners so I could hear. That was my childhood. Hear how the police were moving with the, the fighting that was going on, and um, and hearing the bombs going off. And my my entertainment. This sounds weird, but entertainment for a teenage kid, uh, early teen kid in Ireland, was to go downtown uh, Saturday afternoons in the hopes of catching a bomb, uh, because they would cordon off the streets at a supposedly safe distance um, because they knew there was a bomb had been in a vehicle parked outside. And, and so they would hold you back three, 400 meters and then you'd watch, you know, 300 pounds of, of explosive go off. And it's spectacular. And for a teenager, <laughs> it's a draw. I used to go downtown and watch bombs and it was completely entertaining until one day standing um, at one of those cordons, uh, this white van blew up and a, a steering wheel uh, and steering column went about 15 feet whizzing over my head, probably going at about 300 feet per second. And I realized, oh, this safety line's kind of theoretical. <laughs> Maybe this isn't a great idea. Huh. But that was, that was kind of the background. So um, violence, hatred. Yes. Uh, death. Um, for me, not not a not a lot of personal death. My dad, being a pastor, had to deal with a lot more of that. I see. Um, uh, pastors were called in to deal with all kinds of horrendous situations in in Northern Ireland, uh, as is typical of any uh, violent society. Uh, for me, I did not see much direct death, but it, its ambient presence was everywhere. So it was a a society that was blowing apart, uh, deep divisions, um, manifesting themselves in numerous ways. Yeah. At some point in time. You left 
Northern Ireland and you came to Canada. Uh, when was that and, and, and what precipitated that? Uh, yeah, uh, my dad, uh, being a minister, was called to a church in, in Canada. And, and we didn't want to leave Northern Ireland. Uh, it's funny how in a violent setting, it becomes normal. You don't realize that it's abnormal. It's just life. And so we, we had no particular desire to leave Northern Ireland. It was only um, arriving in Ottawa we kind of realized how different the world was. Wow. Um, I, I remember the first time I went to a mall and and standing and walked into the mall and the first thing we, we did was spread eagle and like, where's this, where, why aren't we being body searched? Uh, and it was astonishing to us. You could go into any public building and not be, be body searched, et cetera. And there was no soldiers, no armored vehicles on the streets. It was, <laughs> it was, it was uh, quite an education. So that's what brought us to Canada. And um, I struggled through education. Um, but was able to make that adjustment with some difficulty. Uh, and to everybody's shock and surprise, was able to graduate Algonquin College uh, after high school uh, and then even university. I'm going to fast forward mm -hmm. and I'm going to move you all the way to, at some point in time, you become, oh, you're involved in the RCMP, so uh, you became an RCMP officer. Yeah. And then specialized. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually hired as a weapon specialist. Um, I so I never went through depot. I was never yelled and screamed at by sergeants. Uh, I was hired specifically for my my weapons experience. I had I had a lot of skill with weapons. That's another whole long different story. Before I, I got in the force, and they actually pursued me because of that. Um, and and being interested in firearms is kind of a a very natural thing for me because as I grew up. Uh, weapons were not, firearms were not a negative. Firearms were held by the, I now know they were just kids, they were like 18, 19 year old soldiers, but for me they were big men. And, and these men in uniform protected me. So firearms didn't have a negative connotation, they had a profoundly positive connotation because those were the men that had the power to protect me and get me home from school safely. Oh, yes. And so it was very natural that I would gravitate towards things like weapons, which is kind of un, uh, unusual in a Christian context, but it absolutely was positive for me. So uh, with uh, weapons experience, the RCMP hired me, uh, they posted me to Vancouver, and I ended up stepping into a very dark world in terms of CSI, which is crime scene investigation, forensic science, lab work, all associated with, with, uh, with weapons. So my, my world was basically blunt trauma, stabbing, shootings. What was your title with the... Uh... I was a firearms and toolmark examiner. That's a, that's a technical term where we, we examine physical evidence and compare it to physical evidence. So bullets to guns, axes to skulls, knives to ribs, all that kind of stuff, and forensically identify how the weapons were used. Was it this particular weapon and how did this person, um, uh, how were they killed? Were you involved in the autopsies? Yeah, regularly. All the time. Yeah. So given your background in Ireland in which violence was part of your mm -hmm. life, you end up in a career where violence is constantly seen. Mm -hmm. um, you're dealing with the dark side of, of, yeah. of the human spirit. Mm -hmm. um, what has that made of you, Brian? Who are you as you look at the world around you? How do you see the world? I am not easily shocked, um, but I have, I have come to the point where I, I recognize the only solution we have as human beings is in the love and grace of Jesus Christ, um, because our our world is so broken, and we personally are so broken. Um, and there was numerous circumstances uh, that I would find myself in that that many uh, police officers, many professionals were involved in, and and they had trouble 
They had trouble putting it in a box. They didn't know what to do with it. Uh, you know, if a if a drug dealer gets gets killed, they don't rate very high on the sympathy index. There's a there's an anticipation you're in that world, and that's going to happen to you. And so we deal with those crime scenes, those autopsies. Some of them pretty grotesque. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you have um, a pregnant woman killed? What happens when, I mean, I think it was my, my second or third autopsy was a family of six, uh, and the first child we autopsied was 11 months old um, and shot in the head with a 44 Magnum. That's not pretty. And so how, how, how do we put that in a box? And many, many uh, people I was surrounded by would really struggle with that. And for me, I didn't particularly struggle. I had a box to put that in. There is evil. Uh, it's no surprise to me that there's evil. And yet Christ was saying, I can cut through that. There, there are solutions for the condition humanity is in. Brian, we're going to come right back, but I think this is what I want to explore with you. Um, the world of evil, the world of disappointment, the world of injustice, mm-hmm. and yet a profoundly loving and caring God mm-hmm. who sent his own son into the world. Yeah. Let's put those together. Yeah. We'll be right back. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. I'm with Brian McConaughey, and you've got such an interesting life. And I know that eventually your life will take you to the killing fields of Cambodia so that evil in this world never ends for you. But I want to, you know, keep in the in the dark streets of Vancouver, and um, you're dealing with, I take it, to the most part, violent deaths. Yes, uh, yeah, tragic deaths. Uh, uh, one of my one of my later files was a file called uh, the Picton Pig Farm file. So this is where where numerous women had been processed by a guy who was a supposed pig farmer. Uh, and uh, he also processed women, uh, many of them, and dealing Prostitute. with prostituted uh, young women. Yes, and they, um, I, I, being a, a young Christian guy, I had no touch points. I had no, I had no connection with the world of prostitution until this file. And as I studied the victims, I, I had all their their dismembered, you know, head, feet, hands on my fridges as I would sort of do the, or in my freezer as I would do the forensic examinations on on bits and pieces of them as recovered. And for the first time, I was confronting this is the end game of um, prostitution. Uh, these young women that were manipulated, that were deliberately um, uh, introduced to drugs to control them, that had no hope in life, that had uh, no value in our society. And my heart broke for them. I saw them in a whole new light, mm-hmm. recognizing that some of them, uh, even in bits and pieces I had in my freezer, some of them were Christian sisters of mine. They were being prostituted, but they absolutely knew the Lord. That was earth-shattering for me to kind of put those two worlds together and realize that these are prostituted young women, but they absolutely knew the Lord. But they they, they did not have control over their own lives. They were enslaved. And so that was heartbreaking for me, but God was challenging me in terms of where was my compassion in this and and could I I deal with this and could I see him even in that. Um, So very, very ugly stuff. 
Uh, very challenging stuff from a faith standpoint, but enriching in that I saw that even in the dark area of places like the pig farm and those kind of serial killing environments, uh, that that Christ had claimed several of those lives, uh, and even there he could reach in mm. and and claim those lives. And I remember one in particular when I, this is my weird world in terms of how I express it, but it was normal for me. I remember after I was done the examination of this one head of a, a, a young woman I had studied considerably, never knew her in life but newer in death and uh, and I remember packaging up her head and, and like something out of Shakespeare saying goodbye to her before court because I wasn't going to see that head anymore uh, I'd spent months examining uh, her head forensically and uh, I remember putting her in, in the cooler and, and sort of saying um, um, goodbye I will see you later and I will and no one's hurting her anymore. No one's raping her. She is with her Lord, the Lord that she loved, that she never had a chance to serve in freedom in this world. Um, so it's exciting in its own way uh, to see Christ working even there. So the Christian gospel, Brian, um, speaks about a number of touch points which relate to our salvation. And one of those touch points, of course, is the univer- universality of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for some individuals, I mean, sin is, you know, we're basically a good society. I mean, when you talked about coming from Belfast where you'd see violence, you've, you've walked into a mall in Ottawa and suddenly you see freedom and you see peace, stability. Uh, you see a culture that seems basically a just culture. And a great many of us live in that world. And so, so for, a, for a great many people, this doctrine of the universal sin in all human beings is something that seems overly condemning to them. Mm. Is there an answer that you have to that? Um, do you see all human beings through a black lens? Do you, how do you see people? Well, first of all, I think with regard to our society, that is basically just and functional. Uh, we live in a blip. This is not normal. This is not humanity in most of the world. It's, it involves much more suffering and much more torment for most humans on this planet. Um, but that is precisely why Christ came. Uh, because if we've got it all together and we're the just uh, society and we've got it all figured out, then why, why should Christ come? He comes because we're broken. And if I've discovered anything, is it, it, it's the fact that, that universally we are broken and we can have all the trappings of a stable society. But when, when, the, um, when things get rough, the veneer of civilization comes apart pretty darn quickly. Uh, you can see that in so many um, numerous societies. Uh, uh, think of the uh, Yugoslavian conflict as, as Yugoslavia broke up and they separated a stable society where neighbors had lived side by side in civil um, uh, harmony for years, maybe a little bit of tension, but I mean, nothing like what happened. If I can um, break in for a moment, Brian, just to use an, a personal example, I pastored in Burnaby for a lot of years, and one winter we had a boil water advisory because, you know, a part of a, a landslide into the water reservoir, so the water was coming out brown and we needed to boil it. <clears throat> and so they had a run on water bottles at the Costco in Burnaby. And as the water was running out, I mean, listen, we were not going to be without water. We just had to boil it. But as the water was running out, there was blood on the floor at Costco as customers were fighting over those last bottles that were there. So when you talk about a veneer, which is easily stripped away, um, how quickly can a society move towards that kind of brutality where human life is? Rapidly. 
rapidly. And, and, and if we take away our, our carefully constructed control mechanisms, our little cocoon of comfort, uh, the Wild West appears very, very quickly. Um, you, you're making me laugh thinking about Vancouver. Uh, and this may, may be hilarious to other people across Canada, but I remember watching the same thing when during a, a snow, a series of snowstorms in Vancouver, people were actually fighting over salt bags. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a joke, and yet it's not. It's you suddenly become become determined to get ahead yourself. It's 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 being self centered, and that's who we ultimately are. And to live a life where we genuinely serve others sacrificially is revolutionary. Uh, it is not characterized by the norms of our society, but we have mechanisms in place to make us feel noble, to make us feel ethical, to make us feel uh, like we're honorable. When, when in actual fact, if you strip all that away in and of ourselves, we're neither ethical nor noble, in my opinion. We're broken, but that's where Christ comes in and says, I can actually give you a model where all of that can be taken away and you rely on my goodness, which is infinite, and my grace, which is infinite. So I think there's something that you said at the beginning of our conversation in which you had talked about the sectarian violence mm. in Belfast, mm. and it was characterized as Catholics against Protestants. But you had said that religious veneer was not the issue at all. Mm. Um, so it's very important for us to say that when we talk about Jesus and about what he does to a deeply depraved human soul. We're not talking about a religious structure, are we? No, no. I, I wouldn't even describe myself as a religious person. It's very interesting in a, in a Cambodian context, some Cambodian Christians, although the church is very young there, they already are moving away from using the term Christian, and they're moving towards Christ follower. Because Christian has all this horrible political historic baggage that has nothing to do with our relationship. Uh, so I, I prefer to avoid that. Um, I absolutely am orthodox in terms of going to a church. It's a good community. Uh, and we're, we're told to do that, to be part of a community that, that can support me and I can support others uh, as we move through the Christian life. Um, but in terms of my relationship, it's, this is a personal, personal relationship. It's not an institution by any means. The reason I think we're having an important conversation is because I think we're saying here that the that veneer of human decency is quickly stripped away and reveals a heart that's deeply, deeply in love with violence and hatred. Mm -hmm. And yet Christ came into a darkened world yeah. to provide forgiveness of sins, access to the Father, a, a changed life. And a perspective that allows us to be people of love and to follow him rather than to follow darkness. And he does that in the context of freedom and hope, not a context of religious oppression and control, which, again, there's so much in quote unquote Christianity that's loathsome. But it's normally the misuse of Christianity. Uh, if we actually look at Christ, the individual, particularly with regard to women, his relationships are revolutionary with women. He breaks all kinds of, of social rules in, in giving dignity and hope and honor to young women. The kind of women that I was discovering in the Willie Picton murder scenes um, 
who were, who were prostituted, who had no value, who lived lives that were profoundly damaged. And instead of condemning them the way society would do, also open progressive society, he went way beyond that yes. and said, you are, you are honored, you have value to me, and I will, I will discuss things uh, in, a, in an honorable context with you, and I will speak to you tenderly even when others want to stone you and kill you for what they perceive to have been wrong. I'm the arbiter of what's right and wrong, and I choose to forgive. And so he consistently honors women uh, in a way that's completely revolutionary. He was well over 2,000 years ahead of his time socially. Right. And, and and maybe still another 2,000 mm-hmm. years. Yes. Brian, we have so much we can talk to. I feel we've just begun to scratch the surface. But there's something about the love of Christ that breaks through the worst Mm -hmm. darkness at all. And I want to thank you for coming to Truth and Life today. God bless you, Brian. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's important to face these realities because unless we do... We'll never know what to do next. So what do we take from what we've just heard? Well, I take a number of things, and one is the prevalence of evil in human society and in all human hearts. You know, for all of those individuals who say, you know, I don't sure I believe in sin, I wonder about the bubble that they've been living in and the denial of the reality of sin in our world. There is so much hopelessness, so much despair, so much violence, so much killing, uh, so much hatred of one another in this world. Were it not for the grace of God, we would have already all been consumed. That's just a true uh, reality that all of us need to face. But the other thing is, there is a marvelous and loving God who has entered into the human race and has not left us to our own designs. Grace has been given, and not only has grace been given, but God has appointed his servants, those who have come to know Christ, to be agents of reconciliation. I'd like to tell you a little story about my years ago being in the nation of Romania right after the communist, the brutal communist dictatorship had been brought down. I know a man there who uh, started a Christian university. The president of the country came to him and said, can you raise up nurses uh, for some of the poorest villages? And he said, Mr. President, why are you coming to us? And the president said, because I know only Christians will go there. And I know that there are things only Christians will do because God has called us to be his agents of light. I want to say this to everyone who's watching this. God has called you, if you know Christ, to be an agent of reconciliation, to be an agent of healing, to bring Christ and the aroma of Christ into every area of work. Be Christ to all those people who are around you. You have no idea what God is doing, but there is a marvelous aroma that comes when believers function with Christ. That's what we saw in Brian, and uh, that's what we continue to see in everyone who serves Jesus. What a wonderful story. No matter your background, Christ has a work for you to do. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, and please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more interviews, episodes, and Bible teaching content. Uh, Thanks for joining us today.